Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. And welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode number 59 of the show. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Scott Gardner. And this week, I don't think we even have any preamble, because we did all of that last week. (laughs) When we recorded last week. Nothing has happened since then. I'm preambled out. So I think we can jump right into the issue... And we're going to get... What? Oh, I was just going to say, we can do that. And we're going to get into All-Star Squadron number 25, and I'm going to hand this one over to Scott. Hey, thank you. All right, All-Star Squadron number 25. This is the September 1983 uh, cover dated issue. Original cover price, 60 pennies. Cover on this one is, of course, by Jerry Ordway, and uh, this one is quite the little jam cover here. We've got select members of the All-Star Squadron uh, with their backs to us facing off against this new group. This new, uh, it's bannered here as an all-new mysterious Infinity Incorporated versus the All-Star Squadron. Bannered across the top, it says, they're here, Fury, Nuclon, Northwind, Brainwave Jr., Jade, Obsidian, the Silver Scarab. And uh, it, it's 
Um, well, we can discuss this in the notes section mm-hmm. of the show. We'll talk about our, our thoughts on the cover. Um, and then at the bottom, about a, a little little more than midway beneath the, uh, uh, what you call it, where the UPC symbol would be, although mine doesn't have a UPC, it says the new DC, there's no stopping us now, which I always really liked. Mm-hmm. It says also in this star-studded issue, by popular demand, the Guardian returns, courtesy yes. of Roy Thomas, Jerry Ordway, and Mike Macklin. And then there's also another banner on this cover that says Superman 3 movie sweepstakes details inside. Uh, Let's see here. We've got uh, Roy Thomas, writer-editor, Jerry Ordway, pencil artist, Mike Macklin, inker, Gene D'Angelo, colorist, and Cody. And I'm so glad that that name finally got shortened. Letterer. Although I was looking at this and it almost looks like it says lecturer because it's it looks funny. At least in my issue, it looks a little funny. Yeah, but then you find out it's Cody Starchild from that issue of Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that was quite the callback. Thank you. Uh, let's see here. The quote for this issue is: "We must be." No, I always I wanted to read it like FDR. We must be the great arsenal of democracy, or something to that. That was probably the world's worst FDR impression. But anyway, that's uh, FDR from December 29th, 1940. And I've just got to ask, is it me, or does it seem that these seldom ever seem to match anything going on in the issue? Is is that just me? Because I really agree with that. I like them. You know, I enjoy reading them, but afterwards it's always like, uh, what the hell did that have to do with Superman punching Ultra in the head? Uh, You know, I I don't get it. Okay, so anyway, the story is entitled The Infinity Syndrome. In the office of the War Department in Washington, D.C., Justice Society members Hawkman, Starman, Sandman, Wonder Woman... Is she a jsa I don't know. She's there with them. Johnny Thunder and Dr. Midnight listen to a radio report on the threats leveled against the nation's war effort by the sinister ultra-humanite. As the jsa begin to make plans to deal with Ultra and speculate about his motives, Secretary of War Stimson, General Marshall, and General Brody enter saying uh, that they were just going over the latest data on the mission they have for the newly named Justice Battalion. But when those plans turn out not to include tackling the ultra-humanite problem, but instead the Black Dragon Society, the team gets a little testy. Back in New York at the New York Fairgrounds uh, headquarters of the All-Star Squadron, Amazing Man, having assumed the properties of metal, prepares to whoop ass on the likes of Batman and Robin, Commander Steel, Green Lantern, Liberty Bell, the Atom, and the Tarantula. There are some fisticuffs in this, or excuse me, there are some great fisticuffs, rather, in this sequence, including Commander Steel and Amazing Man really duking it out. Mm-hmm. Green Lantern grabs Amazing Man in a giant green fist, and it looks like the fight is over as the reluctant villain reverts to his human form. But then the Atom attempts to clock him with a tree branch. So Amazing Man assumes the properties of wood. (laughs) No jokes, please. (laughs) And that being GL's one big weakness is back on the rampage again. Despite the best efforts of the combined heroes, it is a sucker punch to the back of the head, which eventually uh, turns the tide as Commander Steel gets Amazing Man in a full Nelson and the fight is over. Liberty Bell, sensing Amazing Man isn't really a hardened criminal at all, 
attempts to reason with him, and when it is revealed that one of Ultra's targets is Detroit, home of Amazing Man's parents, he reverts to human form and vows to help stop his former boss. And so plans are made. Green Lantern will power ring himself, Amazing Man, and the Atom to Detroit. Batman, Robin, and Tarantula head to the Batplane via the Batmobile to fly out to Los Angeles, another Ultra target. And Liberty Bell and Commander Steel are left to hitchhike to Brooklyn. And no, I'm not making that up. At Ultra's headquarters, uh, Cyclotron tries to comfort his ex-girlfriend Firebrand, but she accuses him of being a traitor. So Psych runs off crying and heading down into a cave-like structure where he thinks to himself that she just doesn't understand. As he stands looking at a figure in some sort of stasis tube, he laments his situation, saying he's got no choice but to help the ultra-humanite or the person who means the most to him in the world will die. At the Brooklyn Navy Yard, Jim Harper, the Guardian, stands watch from on high. Distracted by the appearance of his young pals, the Newsboy Legion, Harper is almost knocked off the roof by a kick in the head from a mysterious new figure. The seven-foot-six-inch mohawked figure named Nuclon and his companion, the Silver Scarab, set about wrecking the under-construction warships when Liberty Bell and Commander Steel show up. That was fast and try to stop them. There's action aplenty, but when Bell and Steel actually make physical contact with the strangers, both all-stars slowly fade away, replaced by something that we, the readers, aren't shown. Essentially, the same scene plays out in Los Angeles, where Senator Knight and his daughter, Sandra, secretly the Phantom Lady, tour a warplane manufacturing plant known to be a target of Ultra schemes, accompanied by Batman and Robin and the Tarantula. A Wonder Woman-esque female calling herself Fury and her Hawkman-like companion, utilizing a massive flock of birds, proceed to start tearing up the joint. Fresh out of Hostess Fruit Pies, Batman and Robin are forced to rely on kicking a woman in the face. I swear to God, wasn't there a Hostess ad yes. where they fought birds? Okay, I thought so. I, I thought I wasn't crazy. Uh, Batman and Robin are forced to rely on kicking a woman in the face and tying her up. Hey, you know, whatever works for you, pal. And uh, Phantom Lady appears to assist Tarantula with the uh, pseudo-Hawkman, blinding him with her blacklight and causing him to crash, knocking himself out. Again, however, we see our heroes, this time Batman and Tarantula, pull a fade away as soon as they lay hands on the bad guys, replaced by something, again, that we don't see but that clearly freaks out Robin and Phantom Lady. And in Detroit, the scene plays out a final time as Green Lantern and the Atom face the combined forces of a green glowing girl named Jade, who utilizes a natural power very much like Green Lantern's green flame and her shadowy companion, Obsidian. The pair are handily defeated by our heroes, but again, contact with the bad guys causes the heroes to vanish, replaced by something or someone that prompts Amazing Man to ask, Who the hell are you? Back in Manhattan, Brainwave Jr. finally awakes, and Olga tells him that she'll beat his ass again if he makes a move. A radio news flash about all the defeats we've just witnessed, however, sends Brainwave Jr. off. This is the very thing that he's traveled back in time from the far-flung futuristic era of 1983 to prevent. <laughs> he shows his gratitude to Jonathan Law 
and Olga by smashing a giant hole in the wall of their home and hightails it out into the night to follow the clue left behind on the note by Tarantula before the whole world goes up in smoke. Next issue, Talons Across Time. Whew, that's a lot of shit that happened in this yes, issue. Yes, definitely. Historical notes for all Star Squadron number 25. There's not a whole lot of them this time. Let's see. The figure of the Silver Scarab was added to the upper left of number 25's cover at the last minute. Alter Ego number 44 printed Jerry Ordway's original art minus the Scarab. I wonder if that's that issue that I've got. Is that the one we referenced like an issue or two or an episode or two ago? I think so. And I just found it the other day. Ooh, sweet. Hope you didn't have to pay a lot for it. No, I'd, I had been buying it at the time. It was in a box. Oh, I got you. Okay. I like that magazine a lot, and I, I don't mean to sound disparaging against it, but I, I find that that one usually has, like, a huge amount of the issue devoted to, to like, Golden Age stuff I really don't care about. And then the article that I bought it for is usually, like, you know, a very small percentage of the actual issue. So I'm always really happy when I get those on the cheap. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, Let's see here. The Guardian was featured in the story and on the cover because DC and Roy Thomas wanted to protect the company's potential trademark on that name since Marvel had recently introduced its own Guardian, a member of Alpha Flight. Just to give you some perspective on where Marvel was at the time. One of Roy Thomas's favorite pages in All-Star Squadron is the splash of number 25. Jerry Ordway caught each of the six heroes in a slightly different aspect. And yes, it is a fantastic uh, opening splash in that issue. And then I liked the name of this uh, one at the bottom, Victory Through Air Power, which was actually a uh, Disney uh, animated uh, project during the, the wartime. Because the, Disney, actually, the studio switched over to doing like... Uh, you know, films for the war effort and all, which uh, is pretty cool if you get to see any of that old stuff. It says, above, Batman, Robin, and Tarantula visit a Los Angeles aircraft factory. With them is Sandra Knight, who will soon be called upon to change into Phantom Lady. Uh, and then at right, it has a picture, a 1942 photo of two young women working on a fighter plane engine at Langley Field, Virginia. Uh, during the war, females took over many of the tough jobs it was long thought only males could do. And that's where we get you know, the, the thing of uh, Rosie the Riveter and all that. Oh, and there are some uh, historical things on the next page here, too. It says, General George C. Marshall is startled by Starman's mention of Ultra uh, till he realizes the Astral Avenger is referring to Ultra Humanite. Clearly, the All-Stars hadn't been let in on uh, Top Secret Ultra, the code name for the British breaking of the German ciphers, uh, especially those created by the ingenious Enigma machine, a feat that General Dwight Eisenhower, commander of the Allied forces in Europe, called decisive in winning the war. The deciphering of the Nazis' codes wasn't public knowledge before F.W. Winton Botham's 1974 book, Top Secret Ultra. Interesting. When Bell easily flags down a car to hitch a ride, I actually caught this in the issue, and I was so proud of myself that I didn't know the name of the movie, but I remembered having seen this scene, and uh, I thought this was cool. It says, when Bell easily flags down a car to hitch a ride from Queens to Brooklyn, Commander Steele says uh, she's got, uh, quote-unquote, got uh, Claudette Colbert be all hollow. 
This refers to a famous scene in Frank Capra's 1934, 1934 rather, screwball comedy film, It Happened One Night, in which incognito reporter Clark Gable tries in vain to get a car to stop for him and Miss Colbert, who plays a rich runaway, then halts one with just a flash of leg and a smile. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? No, but I've it's, seen takeoffs of that. It's very funny. Yeah, it is. And it's quite risque. For I, I, If somebody had asked me what year that movie was from, I never would have guessed 34 because that was, was pretty risque for the time. But it is very funny because he's standing out there, you know, trying his best to, to get somebody to stop for them. And then she just like shoves him aside, walks out and shows like a, a length of leg. And it's like, this car immediately stops. It's hilarious. Uh, let's see. The Newsboy Legion, stars of the Star Spangled Comics feature in which uh, the Guardian actually got second billing, appear in a pair of panels. Yay! Because number 24 and 25 was the first appearance of any of the uh, Infinity Incorporated in a comic, the speech pattern of one or two of the young heroes are inconsistent with those in their upcoming series. Um, the next note, if it's all right with you, Mike, I want to skip that one yep. because that reveals a little bit too much of what's coming up. Uh, and lastly, it said the issues letter page contains a letter from Sheldon Mayer, original editor of All Star Comics, writing about how he and Gardner Fox co-plotted the 1940s Justice Society stories. And that's it for historical notes. Mr. Michael Bailey, what you got on All Star Squadron number 25, sir? I think that if the cover had been stretched out and, like, the top part of the image and the Guardian thing had been eliminated, I think I would have liked this cover a lot better. I totally agree. My note on this is uh, could have been a great cover, but too busy, which I think is essentially what you just said. So, yeah, yes. I mean, it, it's not bad. And I really prefer Jade with long hair. I know that Roy and Jerry yeah. wanted her to have short hair and that Jeanette Kahn, I believe insisted that she had long hair insisted at first that she have long hair and they progressively shorten it in her subsequent appearances uh i think she looks better with that but i like long hair though it is cool to see the guardian i love the guardian well uh, the other thing about this cover i'm sorry if you don't mind my interjecting is no. is behind the uh what did they come to be called? The infinitors is that what yes. they were? yeah which i never really liked i gotta be honest but behind the team is you know, if you don't know that that's the the Parasphere and the Trilon, you'd never figure it out by this because the the coloring's very wonky. What this reminds me of is when we would get ice storms in New York. Yep. And the and the trees would get you know the bare trees would get covered with like a sheath of ice, is what it looks like. So this almost looks like a wintry scene with like I don't know like like the sun or something behind them, but it's it's awkward. I think. It's not really the art. I think the art's more or less fine, although it's a very, very busy cover. But then you add that with the wonky coloring of the scene behind them, and it just it loses something. That should be a really dynamic scene of you know our heroes, the All Stars, facing off against this team from the future at the World's Fairground. That should be an awesome cover. And as it is, it's just kind of like a pretty okay cover. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I'll agree with that. Page one, uh, my first note is, and is vowed to strike at 5 o'clock this afternoon at Brooklyn Navy Yard, as well as at defense <laughs> plants in Detroit and Los Angeles. Police and military author authorities are already making preparations for, in addition, Ultra has direct, issued a direct challenge to the entire All-Star Squadron. That's very good. Thank you. <laughs> 
I should have done uh, newsreels. The, uh, my second note is it's good to see that the expositional news network existed in the 40s. <laughs> I knew you were going to throw that in somewhere. <laughs> and uh, hey, if you come up with something, you overuse it. And in the third note, Dr. Midnight is really trying to pretend like he's paying attention. But he's clearly not. <laughs> he's just sitting back, and I freaking hate Johnny Thunder. Page, um, page three in that first panel, Hawkbeard looks like he's trying to seduce Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman looks like she's okay with that. Her body <laughs> language is, so, how are you doing? <laughs> I have a note, but I'm going to save it. This, this, this pisses me off. Ultra? How'd you find... Oh, you mean the ultra-humanite. As General Brody said, you just have to have faith that your fellow All-Stars can deal with that threat. Yes, sir, we can do, but here, pronto. But... We're expecting an FBI report on the Black Dragon's whereabout any minute, but we need you six to sit tight till then. So we don't have all the information. But we're going to have you sit here and not do anything about the supervillain that is trying to destroy, the, <laughs> destroy three cities. Because we're the government, and that's how we work. Haven't we been over this before? <laughs> Damn it, I hate... It just pissed me off. It, like, literally pissed me off. Uh, you're right about this fight with Amazing Man. It was great. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that... Uh, Adam, no! You seem awful, awful anxious to keep that tree limb away from me, Lantern. Here's here's where I find out why. Oh, great, Adam thinks. Haven't worked with Geo in so long, I forgot. Wood's the one thing totally immune to his power ring. Dumbass. <laughs> Dumbass. I like the fact that um, Batman, at the bottom of page five, is tackling Amazing Man's legs. Meanwhile, Liberty Bell has hopped up and is basically... Scissor, scissoring him to the ground. Oh, which yeah. is really hard to do, by the way. Um, page seven, that first panel, Commander Steel has aged like 60 years. <laughs> Good lord. I'm really trying hard here. Uh, amazing man, you need to get that chip on your shoulder looked at. It might be malignant. Um... Because he's got a big old chip on his shoulder. Yes, he does. Um, page eight. Apparently, Batman was so turned on by Liberty Bell wrapping her legs around Amazing <laughs> Man's face that his entire body has turned blue. Am I blue? <laughs> Am I blue? It just reminds me of that song that he sings on Justice That's League. That's a great episode. <laughs> yes, it is. Dun, dun, dun. Um. Page 10, The Guardian! Yes. I love The Guardian. Uh, though the Newsboy Legion show up, keep calling him Jim Harper, and for some reason he wants to hide this from them. When Hel Jose Delgado shows up, I'm done, dude. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, that was harsh. I like Jose Delgado. I don't like Jose, Jose Delgado. I'm sorry. I love Gangbuster. <sighs> Would have loved a Gangbuster series in the... 90s, early 90s. I would have liked a Guardian series. In fact, if uh, if he's doing sketches, I really want Carl Kessel to do me a Guardian sketch. Because he drew the Who's Who entry for them in the Loose Leaf uh, binder edition of Who's Who. 
and he drew the Newsboy Legion and the Guardian, and it looked really awesome. So I would like to see if he would if he's going to do sketches. Dude, he's a hell of an artist. He really is. Yes, he is. He is an amazing artist, and he is the second best inker that ever worked with Byrne. Who would you say? Oh, it's, uh, Austin. Austin would be the first. Austin would be the first. But Kessel, Kessel was phenomenal with Byrne on Superman. Absolutely. Yeah, it was fantastic. Page 14, I really like the shadowing or the lighting effect on the Guardian's face in that last panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really cool. I like that. Uh, page 15, you know, we were talking about Rocketeer in the last episode, and we won't go into another tangent about it, folks. But don't you think that around the time that movie came out that Jennifer Connelly would have made a badass Phantom Lady? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not where I thought you were going, actually, when... When I flipped to this page initially before I started to actually read it, I thought that this might be Howard Hughes, and that's what I thought you were going to say as oh, well. Oh, that would be cool, though. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah. That would be neat. Um, I like the shot of Batman swinging on the bottom of page 16 in the last panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good capage there. God, Ordway does such a great, great work with the Golden Age Batman. Um, <laughs> page 17, they tie Fury up and... Uh, Robin's like right under her. He is about to get a face full of fury ass, and I don't think he minds. <laughs> She's got good genes, so there you go. Um, page 18, second panel. It looks like Tarantula is about to punch Northwind in the head. Just start wailing on him. Good guy. Either that or he's about to do something else that I won't describe. You've got a real pretty mouth, boy. <laughs> the, uh, the page, uh, the entire last sequence with Green Lantern and Jade is great. I love Jade. Uh, I I, Jade and Obsidian are pretty much my favorite Infinitors. Uh, though I really like Fury, and I really feel bad for what happened to her in the uh, in the end of that uh, of the series that we won't be talking about yet. Well, you know, it's funny that uh, I, I was thinking about this too. Is that Infinity Inc. and Young All Stars? I love both those teams, but they both have something in common, which is there are is a disproportionate number of their members that I do not like. <laughs> but what kept me reading both those titles are the ones that I like. I really, really like. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? But it's yeah. funny that there's a good number of the Infinitors. I really just don't care for Obsidian being one of them. You don't like Obsidian? Not really. Okay. No. Okay. I, I mean, I, I I like him, and I think he has potential, but in a lot of ways I see him as kind of a poor man's cloak. You know what I mean? Okay. I like him a lot better than Cloak, but I think I've I think I've expressed in the past my not give a shit for Cloak and Dagger. So. Right. Um, well, part of it too, and I I don't want to I don't want to get into it deeply because I don't want to risk offending somebody. I don't like what was done to Obsidian retroactively. And oh, uh, you mean in Justice League America? Uh, probably. I'm not. Yeah. It, that's probably where it came out, and it really pissed me off when they did that. So that that definitely has something to do with it too. I believe. I can kind of agree with you. I've never I never hated him, but I was never really a big fan of Northwind. Brainwave Junior just got whiny after a while. And North, Northwind would be my well next to Brainwave Junior would be my least favorite only because for one he looks completely friggin ridiculous I'm sorry I never liked <laughs> the look of that character but then they never did anything with him he he's he to me was very much the um, 
Flying Fox of Infinity Incorporated. Yeah, but Eric. I really liked Flying Fox. Oh, seriously? <laughs> yes. I love uh, his look, dude. I really uh, like it. No way. He, yes. He's got twigs in a friggin' bear rug as, a, as his outfit. He looks ridiculous. <laughs> um, I like New Klon a lot. I think... Uh, I think Albert has a lot of heart. Which yeah. Is why, what a lot of done, was done with him later. Yeah. I thought was completely unnecessary. And Silver Scarab was always just kind of the pretty boy of the team. And I don't think that's why I ever really warmed to him. Though I always felt bad about something we will be talking about again and again in the early issues of uh, of Infinity Incorporated. And Fury, I just always liked Fury. I just, yeah. I just like her as a character. Um, ironically, my favorite member is uh, is not a member yet, so or at least not in this issue. Ooh, I know who you're talking about, and uh, yeah, he was badass in that series. Yeah, yeah. There's the I, I and I love who he eventually became. Yep. And that if, costume if, was if, awesome. Yep. If there could be one one character, and I I think we did this list before, but I could be wrong, I, or maybe I just meant to do it, but. Um, if there could be one character I could I could have resurrected in comics, and, I, and believe me, you know I am not a fan of resurrecting yeah. dead characters. But if there's one that I feel like they could bring back because he just deserved not to die, it would be that character because he was finally going somewhere. He had a great out of it, a great name, a great look, and I always liked his power set and everything. And I thought he he had a hell of a lot of potential. Then they killed him. <laughs> so half the audience is going hell yeah and the other half is going who the hell are they talking about so who? i'm not going to tell you no we've we've got a lot going forward um all right so that's all you had on your on your notes mike yes sir all right oh my god I've other got... than i really liked the issue i just didn't have a whole it, it's one of those issues where a lot happens mm-hmm. but at the same time there's not a lot to talk about. It was just right. a really good. It was just a really, really good issue, and there was a, it was action packed. Can't can't say enough about it. I agree with that. Um, I think we discussed the cover plenty. Moving on to this awesome, awesome splash page. I really like this because I like how just about everybody looks here. I think Starman is the to me he's the one that my eyes gravitate to on this cover. I think he looks fantastic right there. Cuz I really like his outfit anyway. But then I get a kick out of too that uh Johnny uh Thunder sitting there trying to trying to butch up by sitting on the chair like uh like uh Will Riker would do. I think that's pretty cool. He is no Will Riker. You take that <laughs> he is back, not. you son of no, a bitch. He's trying he's trying I to know. butch up like, like Will Riker. But no, I like I'd love to see a poster of this uh Opening splash, it's phenomenal. He's my favorite next gen character. Will Riker? Yes, definitely. No question. Any any episode about Will Riker, I will I will sit down and just watch. I'll stop everything I'm doing. Is uh, the last episode? I think it's the last episode of season two. Is a is a clip show, and I freaking hate clip shows. Uh, what else have I got here? Oh, this was kind of a, a, a nitpick of mine in the issue was it seems like certain characters know more than they should in the story. Okay. You know, and I understand from a, from a storytelling standpoint that there's a need to constantly keep the movie, the, the, the movie, the story moving forward, you know, the, the, you know, the tale going so you can't keep stopping just because, you know, this character's in Washington and this character's in L.A. and everything in between the issues. 
you know, waste time making sure all your characters get brought up to speed on the same information. But it seems like constantly through this issue, we kept hearing people say, well, I heard a rumor about this and I heard a rumor and, you know, there's this, you know, from my information tells me. And it's like, damn, dude, just how fast did news travel in 1942 anyway? <laughs> you know? so, Good point. You know, like I say, it's a, it's a nitpick, but I felt like it was just, you know, a justifiable nitpick. Um Page two, panel one, I love how Wonder Woman looks right there. She has a very innocent beauty about her in that in that picture. She yeah. just looks very, very attractive. Plus I, I like how uh Starman and uh, and Hawkman are kind of looking at each other like they might just start kissing or something. <laughs> but it's I don't know, I just That's ruined my the man movie. over there. And yeah. yes, I think I love him. <laughs> All right, the the same panel you were talking about on page three, first panel. That's the that's the panel I call. Hey, pal, point that nipple somewhere else, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but she looks like she's like a schoolgirl staring yeah. at like the, the 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 captain of the football team. Right. Yeah, you're right. She does, and I don't see Hawkman as Wonder Woman's type. But uh, now we're gonna get three or four hate emails from Luke, Jack, and Eddie about that. <laughs> no, because uh, she's in love with Steve Trevor. Right. Right. Though they're both blonde. So. Uh, I guess. I Can just you don't know if Steve Trevor is his well, I, don't, I don't know that you can tell that with Hawkman's mask what color his hair is or anything. It's just because he's walking around without a shirt on like Mr. Studley Man all the time, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he must have like the Christian Bale workout ethic from American Psycho, because he is fucking cut. <laughs> it's, yeah, he is. Well, all these guys—I've noticed that in in this, uh, particularly in the last couple of issues—that all these guys are. They have those little those little ripple things on the side of their other ribs, you know, where they're supposed to be like super rip cut kind of mm-hmm. thing. Even like Robin has them, which is funny. Uh, page four, panel two. Well, hello, Mr. Race Card. We've been waiting for you to show up. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, speaking of which, I'm sorry. You know, does Amazing Man have to talk that way? Because I could be wrong, but in his first appearance, what was that, like two issues ago? I don't think he did a lot of, um, I don't even know what you would call it. It's not like Ebonics or Ghetto Speak or anything. It was just... Uh, let me see if I can find. Amazing man, don't exactly play don't games. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. That's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, because he's I, educated. Exactly. You know why can't he just speak like everybody else in the issue? They, you know, but he has to have that incorrect English to distinguish him as being black. And it's like, no, I hate that shit. You talk about your stereotyping. That's stereotyping. I hate that. It drives me nuts. You know, I, I can see it with somebody like Luke Cage or somebody, you know, the you know but it seems like almost every black character from this era or this general era of comics I've ever read talks exactly the same way. And it really drives me kind of crazy because And they're yeah, all like pretty much said, the angry black men too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I do. I it, it just it becomes a stereotype after a while and I get kinda tired of it because I really like this character. Um page five I love the fact that um, because when all right on the page before on page four very last panel, Amazing Man is in his metallic form, 
and he gets grabbed by a giant green fist of Green Lantern's power ring. And I thought, oh, shit, that was a bad move. But then you go to page five and he reverts to a human being. He can't absorb it. And I thought, that's cool because that's totally not what I thought was going to happen. I thought he was going to turn into a green glowy guy made of, you know, green flame. So I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, there's limits to what he can absorb and what he can, um, you know, what he can emulate. Um, God, on my page five, panel five, where Amazing Man throws the wooden branch and knocks G out. And it's like, Christ almighty Green Lantern, get a helmet already. This is the 15th time I've seen him taken out exactly the same way with a baseball bat or a branch side the head. I mean, am I wrong? Have we not seen this over and over again? That Well, Green Lanterns get hit on the head. That's what Green Lanterns do. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> we just accept this or we don't enjoy the comics. Page uh, seven, right in the middle of the page. I love this shot with the eyes. Yes, I forgot to mention that in my notes. It's badass. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. It's very a very dynamic storytelling tool of narrowing in right on the character's eyes as they're kind of coming to uh, to a common ground with each other. Um. Okay, I already made the "Am I Blue" joke on page eight. Which I Am thought was... Am I blue? Uh, Am uh, I blue? Page 8, panel 3. It's just cool. I like that picture. It actually reminds me a lot of uh, of one of the workstations I have where I work at. That <laughs> platform above them, you know, there are, it, all the heroes are standing in front of the uh, Trilon and the Perisphere, and they're all in silhouette. And... There's that platform that comes out of the top of the... I guess it's out of the Trilon right there. It really does. It looks like one of the work platforms where I work at sometimes. I thought that was really cool. Page 8, last panel. Um, What is up with Liberty Bell's incredible growing pants? They're getting wider and why? I mean, is she yeah. cheeseburgers or what's going on here? Because her hips are ginormous. And- they, they, got, they got wet. So they just <laughs> kind of blew up. Uh, page nine, last panel. My guess, Nora Freeze. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, wait, the, the second panel from page nine, though, you got Deathbolt kind of hanging out, and, and uh, you know, you got Ultra Humanite sitting next to him, and he's got that, like, so, how you doing? <laughs> you want to go get some coffee or something? Can I see you naked? Just doesn't take a hint, this guy. <laughs> he wants to have sex with her because she's a man. I keep, I hold uh, to that theory. I, 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 I subscribe to your theory, actually. <laughs> um, page 11, Rosie the Riveter. This is cool. I really like this uh, this page. And if I remember... In time for uh, when this episode needs to be edited and put up, I've actually got a little Rosie the Riveter thing I would like to uh, to send to you, Mike, to have Ooh, you porn? inject. <laughs> no, have you inject? I wonder if there is Rosie the Riveter porn actually. Um, I like the fact that this chapter. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I like the fact that the name of this chapter is a free for all. Gross in Brooklyn. <laughs> 
Although I caught something here. All right, very last panel, page 11. All right, she's holding an acetylene torch, and he melts the acetylene torch. I could be wrong, but I think that I think that, that would lead to kaboom. Am I yeah. wrong? <laughs> no. Uh, page 12, third panel, Nuclon. Uh, Charging into the uh, the jeep and smashing the hell—that's just a great mm-hmm. panel. I like that. Very dynamic looking. Uh, pages fifteen through eighteen. Uh, I agree with you completely. Uh, Ordway draws a really good Batman for this era of Batman, and I, and I want to specify that because you know again I'm not busting on his later batman so it's just I don't like his later batman as much but this era of batman he nails it I think it looks great I really like this um nice to see phantom lady yes since uh last time we saw her she mentions it she is a charter member of the all-star squadron cuz she was right there that's, in the first adventure that's right I've always liked her though. She she looks really really sexy. Except in Action Comics Weekly, which kind of sucked. I don't remember. I'll have to go back and look at that again. Who was the artist on that? Do you remember? I forget. I just don't like the stories. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I thought you were going to nail the same thing I did about page eighteen, and you didn't. Page eighteen, panel two. This totally reminds. Now, granted, it would come years later, but this totally reminds me of those two. Superman versus Booster Gold covers. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I'm I, talking I, about? Yes, I do. Yeah, I love those covers. It was Booster Gold number seven. I think we're. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it was Booster Gold seven where Superman's putting the smack down on Booster and putting his face in a, in the mud. And then later on, it was in Action Comics where it was flip flop where Booster Gold was whooping the hell out of Superman and putting his face in the mud. So mm-hmm. great cover. That was a good two parter too. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, page 18, last panel. Phantom Lady's expression here makes me feel kind of funny. <laughs> Are you getting a tingly sensation? Yes, I am. Uh, jumping way. It, it doesn't help that Robin has the same expression. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> page uh, 22, next to last panel. I like how Jade looks right there. That's just something... Again, it's a, it's an innocent beauty. She looks really good in that panel. She looks mm-hmm. very attractive. And page 23. Yeah, second panel. She should cloud him again. I just really don't like it. a broom. Yeah, this time with a broom. But yeah, don't uh, I don't care for Brainwave Jr. I think I said that before. But that's pretty much it as far as what I got for uh, for notes on this. Um, you know, like I said, you know, I've said this a million times, but, you know, we joke, we poke fun. I love this issue. I love this era. I'm really excited for where things are going. And um, although this is kind of an inauspicious start for them, I like Infinity Incorporated. And yes. we will be seeing much more of them in the future. You'll be hearing us talking about a crap load of Infinity Incorporated. <laughs> yep. What has reached this station of simultaneous defeats suffered by Batman and others of the All-Star Squadron at three locales threatened by the mysterious ultra-humanite? For the <laughs> details as they are. Now back to... <laughs> I wanted to bring back my, my, my radio voice. All right. So what do we want to do now? Ooh, ads. Because we got a lot of good ads oh, yeah. in this one. I always forget the ad. I don't know. You know, it's because we don't have the hostess ad anymore. But we do have... <gasps> 
Burger Time. Burger Time. Now, I liked Burger Time. Did you like Burger Time? Uh, the the one time I played it, yes. This was one of the games my Aunt Ginny had uh, when we talked episodes ago mm-hmm. about uh, you know the, the people we knew that had Ataris that were adults. My, my Aunt Ginny was one of them. And she had Burger Time, and I remember enjoying it. It was fun. That, was a, that, was, that wasn't a joystick game, though, was it? It was a... Uh, was it the little spinny thing? I got to be honest with you. I don't know that I ever played the home version. I liked the uh, the actual arcade version. Was because uh, strangely, the graphics that are shown here look a lot like the arcade version. If I ever played the home one, I don't remember doing so. But it was a fun arcade game. You know what's uh, what's really strange though is once again, this is one of those games I was not good at. Yet I would still feed quarters into it all the time, you know, trying to to get better at it. Never let it be said that you're not hard-headed. So. This is very true. That's one of your endearing qualities. Uh, Another Star Frontiers ad. Yeah. A move out. Move out! Sergeant Rock vehicles from Remco. (laughs) They actually got some vehicles because just the figures would suck. Another Bubble Yum ad. Ugh. Yeah, like I like bubble yum. I mean, I like gum. I so. do. I'm just tired of the lame ass ads. Where's the hostess fruit pies? And then we have the Enter the Superman Three movie sweepstakes. Superman Three and y- Enter the Superman Three movie sweepstakes, and you may win an Atari fifty two hundred Super System. DC Comics and Warner Brothers are giving you a chance to win lots of great prizes. Superman 3 stars Christopher Reeve and Richard Pryor, and co-stars Jackie Cooper, Mark McClure, the incredibly freaking hot Annette O'Toole. Yeah, baby. Annie Ross, the almost as equally hot Pamela Stevenson. She was the blonde. Yeah. Robert Vaughn and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, the star of... The star of the Superman 3 movie sweepstakes could be you. No purchase necessary. First prize. Atari 5200 Super System from Atari. It comes with a computer and a surprise video game cartridge unit and two hand controls. It can be hooked up with any television set to provide hours of enjoyment. Value, $309.90. $300 for a frickin' Atari 5200? Holy crap. Video game systems have remained consistently like 250 to $300 since they started coming out. That's crazy. Isn't that weird? That is weird. That is uh, very weird. 52nd prizes. The Great Superman Comic Book Collection. Time-honored classics featuring the Man of Steel. That is an ultimate collection. Uh, an awesome collection of Superman books. It has... That origin from the collector's edition C twenty three or whatever it is by that's in that uh, secret origins of the super DC here. Oh yeah, I love that. Uh, it prints that. It prints the fight where Superman and Lex Luthor go to Lexor for the first time and fight bare chested in like the the cattle ring. And it's got that four part story that went through 296 to 299 of Superman where he, for some weird reason, an alien makes it so that if he wears the Superman costume, he has his powers. But if he wears just the Clark Kent, and in that story, Clark Kent knocks Steve Lombard on his ass, just punches him dead in the face. Yep. I like that story. One of the best. No, I picked this up on eBay for like 15 bucks years ago. Oh, wow. Um, it does not fit on a bookshelf. 
But I have it, and it's really cool. Uh, it's also got introductions to all the stories by E. Nelson Bridwell. So that's another cool thing about it. 103rd prizes, the Superman 3 soundtrack, a 12-inch, 33-and-a-third vinyl disc with all the great sounds of the movie hit of the summer. <laughs> no, it's not. On one, on one side, you had a lot of the, the score from not... Well, actually, not a whole lot of the score yeah. from the movie. And then the other side was all these crappy songs that <laughs> were in be the... me. Yeah, exactly. Me. It was terrible release. And the... Uh, the, the <laughs> How do I want to describe this? Not techno version. The electronica version. Electronica, of the super- yeah. Um... I had a chance to buy a copy of the vinyl Superman 3 back in 97. I found a uh, copy of it at a used uh, record store over in Little Five Points in Atlanta. And I just put it back because I'm stupid. But for the longest time, that was the only soundtrack out there. Oh, yeah. And then, thankfully, Film Scored Monthly, they put out the full score. Yep. Which, if you listen to that and the score to Superman 2, they're very, very similar. But I still like both. Uh, actually, Superman 3 is one of my favorite musical cues of all the Superman films. And that's after he's finished strangling the evil Superman and he stands up and the theme wells up and he rips the shirt open. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 104th prizes, one jar of Superman peanut butter. <laughs> I really wish I had, like... One of the... Not to eat, obviously, because, ew. But <laughs> that would be oil by now and nothing else. <laughs> it would be like wine at this point. And 105th prizes, one-year subscription to Superman. Twelve Titanic months of the adventure, The Last Son of Krypton, and it has that uh, Superman cover we talked about last week. Yeah. So this is not the greatest Superman movie contest, because I remember the original one, the grand prize, was you got to be in the freaking movie. You know where they were? Uh, it's during the, the football scene yep. in Smallville. That's a jip. Oh, You're yeah. going to be in Superman, but he's not going to be there. <laughs> That's got to suck, seriously. Hey, if at I least was... they got to be in the movie. Yeah, but if I was told, you're going to be an extra in the Superman film, I, I don't want FaceTime with him, but I want us to be standing in the crowd. Right, yeah. You know? So... But that's just me. Yeah, the the Superman movie contests had diminishing returns. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, some of these... I mean, that book is pretty cool, and I like the the record is pretty cool, too, just to have as a novelty. I mean, Superman 4 didn't even get a score release until Film Score Monthly put it out. Right. As a two-disc. That is a great score. Mm -hmm. I will agree with you. After listening to it, after I got it, I was just like, God, this score is a lot better than people give it credit for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably because they don't like the movie. But you and I have discussed our mutual admiration for certain points of that movie. I I just think that the Nuclear Man theme is is phenomenal in that movie. Because a movie doesn't have to be great to have a great... I mean, there's a lot of shitty movies that have a really good soundtrack. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll agree with that. We have a Vigilante ad offering 12 issues for $12.50. I like this. When the law is not enough, my justice begins. President Shunt. I think there might be a a promo poster of that in existence, but I'm not sure. It seems like I have seen a, a Vigilante promo poster before. I'd hate to live in this city. 
President <laughs> shot. Terror stalks the streets. Hand severed in subway attack. Bullying landlord throws wife from sixth floor window. <laughs> I'll just stay in the house. <laughs> I'm not going out. I'm especially not riding the subway. Uh, the meanwhile column does mention that there was a Superman 3 movie adaptation, which is pretty awful. There's a photo cover of Superman flying out of the junkyard. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not Swan's fault, but he doesn't make anybody look like the actors from the film at all. Gus Gorman doesn't look like it, but it was the first Superman movie adaptation. Because they couldn't do one for Superman 1 and 2, thanks to Mario Puzo. That's right. No novelization. But we got Last Sin of Krypton and Miracle Monday out of that one. So, Have you ever read the novelization for Superman 3? No. You know, I have it, too. But no, I have not ever read it. Uh, It's actually not that bad. William Kotzwinkel, I think is his name. Oh, really? um, Wrote that. Yeah. Wrote E.T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I don't I don't dislike Superman three. I actually find a lot to like in that movie. There is a lot to like in Superman three. It has the um, has one of the best sequences of the entire film franchise of the sub of the uh, junkyard fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I the whole Lana Lang storyline that that and Superman two really informed my opinion of who Clark Kent should be because Clark Kent is treated like a real character in Superman right. three. Absolutely, he is. Like, you kind of get the glimpse that this is kind of what Superman wants to be. And going from that right into the Burn comics Mm -hmm. is really why I think of Superman the way I do most of the time. But any scene with with Clark Kent and Lana Lang was great. Any scene with Lana Lang was great. I think that there's there's a tendency for people to lump three and four together as far as uh, their effects go, and that's really not true. Uh, while Superman 4 clearly did have inferior special effects, I find the effects in 3 to be, you know, just as good as they were in the other, you know, in the first two movies. And I love the uh, the whole factory fire sequence. Oh, yeah. Especially when he goes and he... Uh, Walks through the freezes. fire. Well, yeah, walks through the fire. But then when he also when he goes and he freezes the lake and carries it over top of the the mill and lets it go. I I love that. See, I love that. I think that's really nice stuff. It's 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 a good Superman scene. It's you yeah. Know, there, there there's everyone likes to pick on Richard Pryor, but you know that story. The story is pretty good. I think the, the one thing that would have saved that that film is if it was revealed that Ross Webster was actually Lex Luthor. Possibly, who had just created this new identity as the head of a billion-dollar thing, and he was using Gus Gorman to uh, to do what he what he you know to to build his ultimate computer to destroy Superman. Uh, we almost had like a female brainiac right there at the end. That scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> um, I, I tell you what redeemed Richard Pryor for me in that movie and it, and it took a long time for me to realize it but but one of the the more recent times when I watched that movie I was watching the scene where he's playing the general and he comes <laughs> to Smallville and the Chemicals. scene it goes way too long you know it, it's it's very over the top and it's it's really him chewing the scenery but what I like is how the scene ends 
where he's just kind of rambling this shit about chemicals and everything. And everybody's looking like, what the hell is he talking about? And he goes, you know, last weekend, you know, this great nation of ours, you know, half of this great, great nation of ours almost bit the bullet. And he stops and he goes, if it wasn't for this man here, and he points at Superman and is like, yes! <laughs> yes, when he finally brings it around to what the hell his point was, it's a great moment. And that was the part where I realized, you know what, I actually kind of like Richard Pryor in this movie for a change, you know? You, you, you know how that chicken in a bucket and, 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 and no one knows how to, <laughs> how to make what's in it? Well, I didn't know how to make kryptonite. I left an ingredient out. Superman didn't die. Yeah, I love that part. Superman didn't die. I ask you to kill Superman, and you can't do that one One simple thing. And then he drops the phone. (laughs) (laughs) The only weak member of that cast was the woman that played his sister. Sister, yes. Oh, God. Because even the blonde had personality, because she was hiding who she was. Right. That was kind of cool, and she fucked Superman. <laughs> and Superman apparently liked it rough when he was evil. Jesus, he grabs the back of her head, and I'm like, damn, Superman. I think it would be hilarious if after that scene you don't see her for the entire rest of the movie. <laughs> So you're just or, left or, to, to wonder or, what Superman did to her. Or if you do, every time she sits down, she goes, ah, and stands right back up. <laughs> That's so wrong, but it's funny. But again, Annette O'Toole. So, ooh, yeah. She was a great Lana Lang. She was a fantastic... It was really cool that they gave... it's why I liked Cat Grant in the comics here is a character that is in love with Clark Kent she likes Superman but she likes Clark because Clark is the down to earth guy that she never paid attention to in high school and dude Brad Jesus I hated Brad yeah I know that dude would have made a good Steve Lombard too because I hated him (laughs) yep the Philly Flash I like Superman 3 a lot. <laughs> Have you ever seen the alternate uh, beginning, alternate credit sequence? Yeah, I think I have actually seen that. I think when it's when it's played on TV, um, sometimes they have it with the alternate. Years um, ago, I'm, I'm sleeping, and Rachel had TBS on for some reason. And I start hearing the Superman theme, and that's what woke me up. Go figure. And I'm looking at the TV, and and here's a weird thing about me. I will have dreams about watching movies where suddenly the movie changes, and it's not the movie I remember seeing. Okay? So when I wake up, and the first thing I see is an alternate intro to Superman 3, I think I'm dreaming. (laughs) But no, it's not. It's, It's Superman 3 with, like, the space credits, and it's like, wow... I had no idea they did that. That would have been it's a great special that way feature. Too, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the opening sequence is silly. Um, but it's fun. It has a good Superman moment in it. And it has a little kid who played the young Kal-El in Superman the movie. Oh, really? He was the kid that was that Superman handed the photo to after he changed. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. And now he's doing the convention circuit because, well, 25 bucks an autograph. <laughs> Sorry, that was cruel. <laughs> Well, they got the, the, the monster thing uh, on the back, uh, inside back cover, and the AD&D in television. Um, 
ad on the very back cover. So, want to knock out an email or two? We got uh, elsewhere in the DC multiverse. Crap. (laughs) Okay, my turn to forget something. (laughs) It's okay. Some good stuff this month. Yes, we do. I like this Ross Andrew cover on. uh, Oh, this is the final issue of Adventure Comics. It's a good looking, good looking cover though by Ross Andrew of Superboy and the Legion. I do not have this issue. What else we got? Best of DC number forty. I like that, but why does every Gray Morrow piece of art look the same? It looks like the colors are always washed. I don't think he does. It's like his stuff isn't inked or something. It's like mm-hmm. he, it's always gone straight from the pencils straight into the finished art. The, so the colors always look funny to me. Another great Shaken Blackhawk cover. Is that Hitler behind him? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I do like that. OMAC teams up with Superman. Does Perez do, do the art and the whole issue in that one? Uh, I think. Uh, yeah, he does. Uh, yeah. Well, need to I need dig to that out. Read that. Yeah. I, was... yeah. <laughs> we I, I remember that. reading it as a kid, and I really liked that issue because it was, uh, you know, it was Superman by Perez. But uh, I haven't read it in a long time. Flash number 325, that's an awesome cover of the reverse Flash costume over the casket. That's a weird-looking casket, though. Uh, Fury of Firestorm number 16, which, if I'm correct, goes into the Firestorm Annual. That comes out next month. I don't remember. That was a good storyline, too. I like that cover, though. Did his dad get killed? Yeah. Did he? I couldn't remember. But he didn't. Oh, okay. He comes back at the end of the annual. Oh, uh, okay. I like the fact that Justice League of America number 218 is busting through last month's cover. God, I never even noticed that before. You're right. It totally is. That's pretty cool. Batman's 363, first appearance of Nocturna. Nocturna, I One like her. sexiest Batman villains ever. Yep. And then she was retconned away by by the crisis, which kind of pissed me off. But well, I not retconned. Her. They just never mentioned her again. It was the great thing about Batman is all of his adventures happened. They just didn't talk about it. Right. Um, because you could have probably still had the whole Nocturna trying to get Jason Todd thing. They just didn't. They just skipped it. Skipped all that. Now, Superman number three eighty seven and Action Comics number five forty seven. It's a two part story. Got some pretty not attractive Gil Kane covers. These were stories that were originally commissioned for, for the foreign market, for the European market. Huh. And they would do, like, fully produced stories. Instead of just reprinting them, they would do new stories. And they were, if I'm remembering the story correctly, they were at a loss for, uh, you know, they wanted a fill-in issue, so they just used them here. You know, as much as I, I know that I have been guilty of, of being one of those old farts that finally talks about, you know, the good old days of the spinner racks and all that sort of thing, at the same rate, there's a tendency to forget that a lot of times the spinner rack was a pain in the ass because, you know, like in this instance, I bought this Superman 387 off the rack um, when I was visiting my aunt in Pennsylvania, and I remember this specific issue because it was one of the rare comics I ever bought off the rack where it actually had two or three covers on it. You know how they would do that sometimes? 
and I and I don't know if I still have the issue or not. But then the the issue with the rest of the story action five forty seven, I, I don't have it to this day. I don't think I own that issue, so I don't know how the friggin' story ends. But stupidly, uh, now we we had talked a while ago about in that meanwhile column. Dick Giordano had said something about there was going to be a DC Comics Presents annual um, with art by Alex Toth. And we were like, what the hell one was that? That's where this Superman annual number nine comes from. That's what it mutated into. So it never was. There never was a a DC Comics Presents annual, you know, with that. Because if I'm correct, the DC Comics annual from this year was the Superwoman one. Right. And then the next year was the Captain Marvel one. Yeah. Where Savannah gets the powers of Shazam and becomes Captain Savannah, Major Savannah, and eventually General Savannah. I like that story. I have this annual, this Superman one, but I don't know that I've ever read it. Why is he fighting Robot Man? That is what it looks like, too. Because, you know, it's... Because it's written by Elliot S. Megan, who I like a lot, but then it's it's penciled by Alex Toth. I just, oh, I can't stand me, Alex Poor Toth. Scott. <laughs> just don't like Alex Toth. I'm sorry. Nice uh, Batman and the Outsiders cover. What was that dude's name? Baron Bedlam. Bedlam, that was it, yeah. That's no, right. I did not just read through a Who's Who issue the other day. <laughs> When I was scanning who's who files of JSA and All Star members, because I wasn't doing that at all. Supergirl does not look attractive on the cover of her own magazine this month. She's got yeah. bitch face big time on that cover. Yeah, she's. Yeah, I was looking forward to a panty shot, but whatever. You know, Gil Gil Kane. You know, he's so hit and miss because you know this month just not doing it for me because that Wonder Woman cover was ugly too. Yeah. Let's see, what's the GL cover look like? Eh, the GL one's it's not too bad. It's not too bad, but it's not the best one we've seen lately. No. I like the Legion cover. Yes. That's really nice. The Omega yeah. Man cover is pretty cool, too, of, of uh, whatever his name was. Tigor? Tigor, yeah. Looking pissed off. Um, this Sergeant Rock uh, cover, that's me at work a lot of the time. <laughs> Why me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like the Nocturna cover on mm-hmm. uh, on Detective Comics 530 where she's trying to trying to knock him off the uh, hot air balloon. And it's not because I like pale women with dark skin that I think Nocturna is hot. Really? Actually, it is. Because so. I was just going to say that's pretty much why I like Nocturna, yeah. 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 Who I did I marry? There you go. <laughs> Do not like the Jonah Hex cover. I don't like the Jonah Hex cover, and I've been more charitable to, towards them than you. This Legion of Superheroes annual number two, I think this is the only Legion of Superheroes story from this era I have not read just because I just, I don't know, couldn't get past it somehow. I think if I remember right, I think the interior art is not Keith Giffen, if I remember right. Oh, this is Dave Gibbons. I like Dave Gibbons. I don't know. There's something about that one. I, I every time it came up to read it, I just skipped past it. I don't know why. Superboy looks like Superman on that cover. You're right. He does. Uh, but that's I think the first appearance of Sunburst, who <laughs> would go absolutely nowhere. 
Superman three cover. See, he's flying out of the junkyard. Yep. I uh, I I finally bought that years ago, so I have all of the Superman movie adaptations. Uh, plus the two big treasury-sized magazines from 1 and 2. Yeah. Which are cool as hell. They are. I see that one for Superman the movie on eBay dirt cheap all the mm-hmm. time. Oh, they printed the crap out of it. And I, I got both of those for like five, ten bucks a piece years ago in Athens when I was visiting a friend. Uh, Sword of the Atom, I just have no desire to ever read this series. I own it. I mm-hmm. bought it. Uh, the only Adam series I liked of Ray Palmer was the Roger Stern. Yes, uh, Power of the Adam. Adam. That was, was a, a good series. Yeah, I liked that a lot. I liked, yeah. I liked the costume. I liked everything about it. I agree with you because I, I, I actually own a, uh, what is it? It's number 34, Showcase 34, first appearance of the Ray Palmer Adam, and I've never even read it. Um, Ronin number two, again, don't really care. Yeah. And it's not because it's Frank Miller, it's just... It's because it's Frank Miller for me. <laughs> I just, I'm not interested in the story. I really yeah. don't care. And it really pisses me off that John Burns' Man of Steel did not get an absolute edition, but Ronan did. Yeah, tell me about it. And what was this year? The 25th anniversary of Man of Steel. Yep. That pissed me off. That's not right. Because I guarantee you Secret Origin's probably going to get one. I take an absolute edition of Birthright at this point because Birthright was actually a lot better uh, the second time I read it than the first. That's one I, that you I read. just don't even know you sometimes. You didn't like Birthright? I never read it. Uh, well, <laughs> then what the fuck? <laughs> it's not Man of Steel. <laughs> but it's a good take on the Superman origin. Isn't that the one where he was a pu- pussy uh, vegetarian? Yeah, that was. Yeah, the, that's the main. I, I had two my, my Superman is not a pussy vegetarian. He <laughs> eats meat. God damn it! He's Superman. Of course, <laughs> Superman's going to eat meat. He eats meat off the naked bodies of Lois Lane and Lana Lang. He's freaking Superman. I mean, he could just eat meat off of anything. You know what I mean? Just he could just pick up something and go, "I'm gonna eat you." I'm Superman. Damn it! I'm hungry. I, yeah, I didn't like the whole. I see the aura of all living things, so I can't oh, eat meat. Right. And the Lex Luthor getting his wealth from uh, reverse engineering alien technology. Don't, don't even. I'm telling you, you're you're winding the monkey. Don't I was it. not doing it on purpose. I know you're not, but I'm just telling you that 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 friggin' pussy liberal. Bullshit! I can't stand vegetarians and animals. Fuck the animals! They're here for us to eat them. God damn it! I hate that shit. It pisses me off so much. And then they go and apply it to my Superman. Ah! Makes me nuts. Then we're gonna get hate letters from everybody from PETA, the the vegetarian assholes of America, or whatever. Ah! It just drives me nuts. Eat meat! God damn it! Why don't you um? Just tell me how you really feel. <laughs> Let's read some letters. Yeah. I'll, I'll kick us off. We got Tom Panarese. Yay. Scott and Mike just finished the latest Tales of the JSA, and I had to chuckle at, at the joking around about Sergeant Rock, where you could buy all of the play sets and get just Sergeant Rock figures. 
This still happens today with the Spider-Man toys. My son has at least four or five Spider-Man vehicles, and they all came with a Spider-Man figure. I even gave him a Darth Vader figure, so he had somebody for Spidey to fight. We also developed storyline where the animals from his Fisher Price <laughs> little people turned bad and have been rounded up by the Spider-Men and Han and Chewie and Lanto. <laughs> Reminds me of when I was a kid playing with action figures. Playtime is creative time, I guess. Love the show. Can't wait for the next one. Kids live in an awesome world, you know, because they're too young to realize that, okay, these are Marvel. Well, actually, my kids, I, I ruined their childhoods because my kids actually did know that, like, Superman was DC and Spider-Man was Marvel. They had that shit figured out really, really early on. But then, it, come to think of it, I don't think that they still, like, segregated their characters too much, though. What they would do a lot of times is they'd have, like, Marvel D- versus DC Wars with their action figures, which mm-hmm. is actually pretty cool. I like that idea. But when I was a kid, they all played together, you know? You had Batman and Robin serving as the, the you know, con and ops, you know, guys on the on the Enterprise, you know, because there wasn't a, a Sulu or Chekhov figure. So you had, like, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Ahura, Scotty, Batman, and Robin. (laughs) Uh, My Star Wars figures were the secret identities for my superpowers figures. That's cool. Han was Bruce Wayne. uh, Leia was Wonder Woman. That's a clever idea. That's very clever. I had never thought of that, but that's a good idea, actually. Were they about the same size, those figures? Not at all. Now, I didn't. I didn't think they were, but I couldn't remember. But you can do anything when you play. <laughs> All right, we got one here from uh, from our buddy Alan Leach. He writes in about the Trilon and the Parasphere. He says, "Scott and Mike, hi guys. I've been meaning to write you about how much I've been jo- enjoying Tales lately. I have a long letter in my head. I just have to sit down and write it. However, I just finished listening to the most recent episode, and you were talking about the 39 World's Fair. I have a small collection of World's Fair stuff because my grandparents went to it. <sighs> my grandmother uh, kept everything, and I found several World's Fair items when we cleaned uh, her house before she passed and had to go into assisting li- assisted living. I thought you might enjoy some of these pictures and feel free to use them if you want. It's interesting to look at the interior of the Perisphere and imagine it as a headquarters. And he sent a ton of scanned yes, pictures did. from this thing. And it's neat. It is so neat. And, uh, yeah, I'm serious, dude. If I could time travel, this would definitely be something that I would want to have, have gone back to uh, to check out. And I, I've actually started a regular eBay search on uh, on eBay for uh, stuff from the 39 World's Fair. And stuff's not cheap, man. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Thank you, Alan, for uh, for forwarding that stuff along to us. It's cool. Is this the... Yeah, this is just a copy. It's twice, yeah. It's in there twice. All right. Our next one is from David J. Dixon. It says episode 53. Hey, guys. Just listened to the latest episode and was another winner. Oh, well, thank you. A couple of quick responses to a couple of your tangents. One episode length. Do not care. As long as you are talking, I am listening. I listened to episode... I listened to episode 200 of Two True... He apparently listened to episode 200 of Two True Freaks in one sitting. Holy crap. What was he on, like a plane flight to Australia or something? <laughs> yeah. That's a... What was that, like four hours or something? Yep. Holy crap, dude. 
Two, work retail equals hating people. I'm on board with that. Worked retail for 10 years and learned to hate everybody. Been out of retail for 20 years and still not over it yet. <laughs> Love the plod- podca- podcast. Love the podcast. I'm rereading along with you just to let you know I'm an old bastard. I bought these off the stands when they came out. I'm even older than Scott. Holy shit, that is old. <laughs> well, that's yeah. <laughs> when God said, let there be light, Scott stepped to the left. <laughs> oh, that was me. Dick. Not cool. Oh, come on. That was funny. You say Dude, so. I, I am eight years younger than you. Okay? <laughs> I am now officially older than Superman. How do you think that makes me Time feel? is coming. Your time is coming. Did you read that that one was from David J. Dixon? Yes. Oh, okay. I missed that part. Well, I said that at the beginning of the email. Oh, okay. So. All right, next one is from uh, hey, it's from Jesse Garrett. Episode we'll this fifty three. Goodness, oh William, yeah, he's oh, at uh, Dragon, Dragon Con. Con. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, I hope you guys have a good time. He says, "Hey, fellas, it's been a while since I've last compo- uh, corresponded with Tails, so I thought I'd drop a line and let you know how happy I am. The show is back. I am very happy now. My forty five minute rides to work are no longer boring." He says. I just finished listening to episode 53, and while I've been enjoying the ASS stuff, who doesn't enjoy some ass, he says. I'm really looking forward to the upcoming books. To me, it felt a little jarring being thrown back into World War II after getting to know the JSA so well in quote-unquote modern time. This episode held two instances that really made it shine. One, Scott's tangent on the World's Fair. You can tell he loves the topic, and that made for a very enjoyable show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I also am a fan of that time period's portrayal of the future, clunky robots and all. On a sidebar, Captain America was indeed awesome. A Justice Battalion movie set in World War II would rock. Well, there you go. That answers my question from, what was that, last episode or the one before where we got to talking about a Justice League mo- or excuse mm-hmm. me, Justice Society movie? Yeah. Uh, this next topic is something... I believe should be added to every show as a recurring segment. Mike dramatically reading thinly veiled Superman, Batman slash fiction, man. It really gets me going. No, I don't think we need to add yeah, that. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. No, I have to, uh, he means now, now I have to track down this issue and witness the absurdness firsthand. Also, you guys need to cover John Burns' Generations. I would love to hear you talk about it. Thanks, Jesse Garrett. And you're right, Jesse. We need to do John. Mm-hmm. We keep talking about it, and then it doesn't happen. We, we need to make that happen. We need to find the time. All right. Our last one is from our good friend Jose A. Rivera. A question on reprints. Hey, guys. Normally, I talk to you guys about something specific from the episode. This time, however, I have a more general question to ask. Let's face it, DC probably won't reprint All-Star Squadron in a trade. (laughs) Maybe. Unless Infinity Incorporated sells really well in those overpriced hardcovers, it's just not going to happen. However, say that we're going to reprint the series in trade format. There's two choices on how it can happen. I'm curious on which you'd rather see. A, a normal TPB format where they reprint the series in six issue per trades. Or two... Do they do like they are with Infinity Incorporated, where they reprint seven to eight issues in restored color, but it's an expensive hardcover? Three, reprint many issues at once in a showcase, but the trade-off is that it's black and white. 
saying you had to pick <laughs> gun to your head, you had to pick one option, how would you like to see the All-Star Squadron printed for the modern-day comic fan? What about you, Scott? Um, all right, well, first of all, I have to get on a bit of a soapbox. You know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but I'm not a fan of reprints. I'm really not. To me, the only thing I, I've ever, you know, seen as, as a necessity, quote unquote, for reprints is stuff that, you know, is so friggin' either rare or expensive or both that there's just no way you're ever going to be able to put a hand to it, you know, without spending a fortune. All-Star Squadron's not like that. I mean, All-Star Squadron... I'm fairly certain you can get, you know, the bulk of the run from 50 cent boxes, you know, if you're patient and, and you know, you know where to look and that sort of thing. That said, you know, and, and stressing that I'm a fan of buying, you know, the original issues when you can find them and when you can afford them. That said, if I had to see it reprinted or if I had to own it reprinted myself, um, I think I would actually go with the showcase format. Again, I'm not I'm not crazy about reprints and I'm really not crazy about you know it not being in color and all that, but there's something to be said about that particular format because of the of the paper it's printed on and the cheap format. You know, they're inexpensive. You get a shitload of issues in in one collection and all that. And a lot of times, you know, the the black and white actually will complement the art in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. But there's just something about the fact that it's back in print again on newsprint that's very similar to the to the newsprint of its day. I think that would actually be the way I would like to see that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, at least that way it's it's cheap, it's affordable. There's a ton of it out there at one time and it, it you know, it gets it back in the hands of people that want to read it. And I would like to think that you know, with our show, we've actually helped regenerate some interest in this material. So, yeah, you know, I know that we, you know, we were constantly getting you know emails from people saying, you know, hey, you know, I've decided to want to start reading along, and you know, I'm yeah. hunting the back issue bins and stuff. Well, this would be a way to you know to have it right there at your fingertips, you know, in- inexpensively. So, oddly enough, I'd like the expensive hardcover. Really. Yeah, I'd like it to get the good, the, like the the respectable treatment, I guess you could say. Right. Yeah. Um, the reason why Infinity Incorporated got printed in seven to eight issues is because the Generation Saga took place over eight issues. So, but that's all they're printing, isn't it? Uh, for right now, they may print more. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. But if that's all they're going to re- print, that's not bad, really. Because right. uh, for me, that's like the best. That's my favorite story of Infinity Incorporated. Even though I liked Helix a lot. Uh, now, really that, that seems, though, that if the first story is your favorite story, then that seems like it's going to set you up to where, you know, it's only downhill after no. That. That, that. No, because there is a difference between what is my the best and what is my favorite. I got you. So. I got you. Personally, I go with the showcase format, Jose says. You guys are always raving about the art, and I'd love to see it in black and white. I did something similar when the Booster Gold showcase came out, and it was worth every penny. I liked it so much, I went hunting for the back issues uh, of the series. That and getting about 25 to 27 issues at once could be great for 15 to $20, as opposed to those overpriced hardcovers that collect 7 to 8 issues for $25 or less at in-stock trades. Right. Uh, thanks and keep up the good work. Jose A. Rivera. 
See, that's a good point too. Again, you know, there's, there's, to me, there's nothing more insulting to, you know, to your fans, to the potential buyers of this material is when you put it out in some fancy smancy collection that's going to charge you way more than it would be to just collect the friggin' things out of 50 cent boxes, you know? Now, I realize not everything that they collect in showcases, you know, stuff that you can find in 50 cent boxes, but in this case, man, I, you know, I can't really think of very many issues of All Star Squadron that, you know, that you couldn't be able to find in the 50 cent box. Yeah. Like maybe like these first issues with, you know, Infinity Inc. They used to be pricey. I don't think they are anymore, but they used to be. Those might not be able to be found. But most of the run, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could dig that stuff out of 50 cent bins, you know, so. Again, you know, if, if I was going to invest the money myself, like if I was just starting this all over again, you know, collecting All-Star, I, th- I think I would go that route first, you know, trying to trying to find as many as I could of the actual original issues. But that's how I've always collected. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it just depends on where I would find If I could find it all. Then again, I spent like six years finding this series, so I was patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I spent a hell of a lot more than 50 cents an issue when I was mm-hmm. getting it. Especially getting, on that All-Star... Yeah. Squadron Annual Number Two, which we'll be covering in two weeks. Yep. That's so, sir, last last week we decided we were going to do recommendations at the end of the episode. What do you want to recommend this week? Oh, uh, let me think. What do I want to recommend this week? Um, that's a good thought. I'll think about that for a second. You said you had one that you wanted to throw out there. Yes, the Flash TV series from 1990, 1990. Oh, yeah. Starring John Wesley Shipp and the amazingly hot Amanda Pays. Uh, if you like Batman the Animated Series, this is like a couple years before that and live action with The Flash. Very, very, very cool. Um, I just... I just uh, this is kind of an emotional show for me because of what it represented to me when I was 15 years old. Right. I watched every free... Well, not every episode. There was one episode I missed. I taped most of them um, on our old, old VCR. But it was really great a couple years ago to be able to buy the box set. And four years ago... Four? Four? Four years ago, I got the box set signed by John Wesley Shipp at Dragon Con. So, it's very awesome. That was a good show. I missed episodes, and the first run of it, I missed episodes only toward the very end when they, can, con, you know, they kept constantly moving it around. From Thursday to Wednesday to Saturday. Yeah, so different slots that I missed some of the episodes toward the very end. But, uh, yeah, that was a solid show, and I really liked it. Let me think. Um, I've gone and put myself on the spot for this. I, I didn't have anything prepared, but just off the top of my head... Um, what I'm reading at the moment, there's a new uh, there's a new Rocketeer series that just started up from IDW, and uh, I'm digging it. That's really good. We've been talking a lot about the Rocketeer lately. Um, eventually, Mike and I, and uh, possibly some others, we're going to get together and we're going to do uh, at least one Rocketeer episode about the the movie and all. But I would say, uh, you know, if you're a fan of the movie, check out the new series that's out there from IDW. It's some nice stuff, and uh, and I think you'll dig it. That's my recommendation for this week. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. 
If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the tale of the Justice Society of America. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to victory.